0: Rabbi Sabbath, Rabbi Rachel Sabbath Beit HaLachmi, is a visionary thought leader, institutional builder, strategic innovator, and public speaker. Rabbi Sabbath serves as a senior fellow of the Kaplan Center for Jewish Peoplehood and recently served as assistant professor of Jewish thought and ethics and national director of recruitment and admissions at the Hebrew Union College. Prior to her appointment at HUC, she served as vice president of the Shalom Hartman Institute in Jerusalem and as a member of its faculty for over a decade. She has also served on the faculties of the Wexner Foundation, the Tikva Fund, the Memorial Foundation for Jewish Culture, Klal, and the Skirball Center, and as rabbi of Congregation Shirat Hayam on Nantucket Island. Ordained at HUC nearly 25 years ago, Dr. Sabbath earned a PhD in Jewish philosophy from JTS. She currently lives in Cincinnati with her husband, Rabbi Ofer Sabbath, Beit HaLachmi, and their three children, one of whom is also with us tonight. On a personal note, Rachel is a beloved teacher, mentor, and friend, truly a rabbi's rabbi. I often tell people that she taught me how to pray by helping me see that our siddur contains our personal stories as well as the story of our people. Rabbi Sabbath, your teaching and your leadership have had such a profound impact on our Jewish world, and I am so honored that you will be our teacher tonight.
1: Shabbat Shalom. What an honor to be here. Uh, I'm a little choked up. I'm a little choked up by that introduction, Rabbi. It's, it's a particular pleasure to be here this evening because uh, not only is Rabbi Rodich a, a colleague and friend and former student, but so is Cantor Arik Luck. And can you imagine what it was like to have these characters in your classroom as first-year students? And what I find so fascinating is that often those who cause the most trouble, or shall I say, ask the best questions most often, uh, often turn out to be the most important and creative leaders and musicians and theologians of the next generation. So what a great pleasure to be here. And I have such nachas just to watch you lead us in prayer. And of course, what a great pleasure to be here this evening with Rabbi's Singer, Uh, When I was about 16 years old, they were my counselors at a mitzvah corps program. This is before they were married. And uh, I will say, I'll just leave it like this to say that uh, they taught me a lot about what kind of partner I should seek in the world. And uh, and Rabbi Bethsinger gave me probably the most important advice of my life. I can't really repeat it here from the Bema about one, what one should look for in a partner, but let's just say one of the people who's most grateful that I found that partner is our daughter, uh, who's here this evening, because had I not found that partner, our daughter Tehila would uh, certainly not be here today, much less would be our, our children, uh, our other sons, uh, Yadidya and Ben Shai. So what can I say except thank you, Rabbi Singer, for that incredible advice. Uh, and, of course, in lots of ways, I wouldn't be here this evening were it not for one of, one of my teachers, uh, Rabbi Larry Kushner, thank you. Uh, his teaching actually inspired the work of my rabbinic thesis, which was on the role of the body in prayer, according to the early Hasidic uh, mystical masters. I don't know if you remember that. But what I found out this evening, which is a little traumatizing, is that the subject of his rabbinic thesis is the subject that I'm going to speak about this evening. So I admit that I'm a little nervous, but I'm also uh, joined here by some dear friends who, uh, who I married here in this, I officiated at their wedding here in this glorious building uh, 22 years ago. Jackie Shelton Miller and, and Craig Miller, and they're here tonight with their incredible three sons. So it's really just an incredible ingathering gathering of of love and enormous history. And so, what better time to think about where we are and where we're going than this moment? We all have turning points in our lives, and we've had many turning points for the Jewish people. And what I want to speak about this evening is some of the major turning points for the Jewish people in terms of our relationship with God. So, I know it may seem and our prayer book sometimes likes to try to convince us that our relationship with God since, since Sinai until now has been, or since creation until now, or since the first Jew was called to by God, lech lecha, it may seem that that relationship has been somewhat static or consistent or we've held on to each other in this absolutely clear covenant. Uh, It turns out that that relationship has shifted dramatically in different significant times, just like our relationships with each other and perhaps our own relationships with God have shifted. So I wanna speak about three particular thinkers and how they understood a major shift in our relationship with God, why, when, and where we are today. And I'm gonna do all of this in about 12 minutes. Are you ready? There's like a course in Jewish theology in 12 minutes. Are you ready? You're ready? Okay. And then there's going to be an assignment at the end, and I'll have to leave it to your rabbis and cantors to work that out with you, Uh, meaning the test. But there will be an assignment for the next generation. So the question is, what first of all, what is theology? What is our relationship with God? So theology essentially is our operating system, for how we understand our relationship with God and how we want to live it out in the world. And there are lots of different theories and there have been different teachers and there have been different ways of thinking about this through the ages. Is it a transcendent relationship where we think that God is way up high in the heavens beyond us? Raise your hand if if you ever think about God that way. I was pretty sure that God must dwell in some place up there most of my childhood. There's another view of God that the rabbis teach us, which is that God is imminent, that God is here amongst us all the time. There's another idea that God is essentially a commanding partner in the world. And so of the shifts in our our framework of Jewish life and of Jewish history, we've actually shifted the ways that we've thought about God. And sometimes we've argued about what it means to have a relationship with God. And that is to say, what is it that actually, if you think about it very deeply for a moment, what is it that most influences how you live your life? Right, if we think about the baby that we just named, so beautiful, thank you. What we learned is that family has an incredible impact on how we live our lives faith, tradition, community, how we understand peoplehood, Jewish identity. But it turns out that there, have, there are particular moments that can shift that. So for three theologians, who we'll talk about very briefly each one, this operating system that they knew and that they had learned, they realized no longer worked. It certainly the traditional system of Jewish life and prayer and the way we were thinking about God, they were at a point in history and in their lives where they realized it no longer worked. The year was essentially 1948 and the years that followed. The three theologians actually came to three very different conclusions about what the emphasis of a new way of thinking about God should be. 1948, if you think about it, and I, I'm saying that this could be true of 1968, and I think it's true of the year 2020 or 2019 as well — they understood that something had changed. What they understood that had changed is that after the war and after the Holocaust and after, and given the creation of a new sovereign state of Israel the Jewish people were different. We couldn't have gone through the experiences of the Holocaust and have the same relationship with God. Certainly not as liberal Jews, and by liberal Jews I mean non-Orthodox Jews. How is that relationship different? For some, the Holocaust was proof that there is no God. How could any God that we believe in actually allow that to happen? For some, including one of these theologians, well, for some it meant, for one of these theologians, it meant that God must be hiding God's face and that this is a time where human beings need to act more strongly. And for others, it meant that actually what had failed was not God, but what had failed was our idea of of the modern world, of human beings and of human progress and of the mind. Because if you think about it, The ideas that led to the Holocaust and the political movement that led to the Holocaust actually emerged out of the society that was most advanced, most thoughtful about its philosophy, its music, its medicine, its science. So the world left to just the human mind and the human capacity actually leads us, if we leave the world in human hands only, where does it lead us? It could lead us to being on the trains to Auschwitz, it could lead us to Hiroshima. So for the theologians at that time, they actually felt that they needed to make a decision. Is God more present or is God more absent? What does God demand of us now that we know God's inability or lack of presence in our world or and or that human beings can do this to each other. So how might our theology change? So for the first thinker, Rabbi Yitz Greenberg, he understood that we needed a new covenant with God and that what we should understand is that God can no longer require of us anything. The whole idea of absolute commandedness, he says this as an Orthodox rabbi, of absolute commandedness can no longer apply. And so he argued, among the many different articles and ideas that he shared with us, he argued that we are all voluntary voluntary Jews. We are all in a voluntary covenant. That if we choose to carry on Jewish life, it's because we choose it, not because we're required to. We're here, actually, and we want to build a Jewish life because we're going to take now more human. Uh, human agency to actually bring about the world that we need and that we believe must now need to come forward. And then there was another theologian, Rabbi David Hartman of blessed memory, a modern orthodox rabbi who was in Montreal and then created a, a leadership institute in Jerusalem that some of you may have heard of. And he believed that actually the emergence of the state of Israel is the major factor, that that is an opportunity And he was following his teacher, Rabbi Soloveitchik, saying the state of Israel is this incredible new opportunity that is given to us to actually say, what would Judaism look like if it could be totally free, if it could have its own country, if it could determine its own army, if it could determine its own health system, education, its own culture, and Judaism could actually be healthy and live out and not always be hiding and be in a ghetto or be saying blessings like, may God bless and keep the czar far away from us. I mean, think about that view, that Anatevka, Fiddler on the Roof view of government and of self versus what's possible if you actually are developing and creating the society. That's Hartman that halakha and Judaism can flourish anew, and that that's our job to figure out how to live fully on the, on the stage of history. And the third theologian, Rabbi Eugene Borowitz of Blessed Memory, was actually the first to actually coin a new term for what was necessary. He said as a, as a liberal, as a reform rabbi, it's not going to be social action, it's not going to be because that's not enough, clearly. Human beings by themselves aren't enough. It's certainly not going to be halakha. We're liberal people. We don't believe that much of that system is relevant for us. But actually, we're going to have to redefine it. And so he was the first one to coin the term covenant theology. Covenant meaning that the main thing that's going to matter is our relationship with God. What, how do we understand as post-Holocaust, post-the creation of the State of Israel, American Jews, how are we going to understand what God wants of us? And he was also the first to understand that any relevant theology, any relevant operating system for how we're going to live our lives has to have three major elements. And I'll present these to you briefly and then move to a conclusion with some questions for all of us. His three elements were... One, a real relationship with God and that a lot of liberal Jews don't necessarily spend enough time really thinking about if there's a force or an influence or a process or a power in the world that is greater than you, if you have a sense of that, what is it asking from you? What ultimately are you doing here? What is the goal of your life? A relationship with God but also that no relationship, given the history and that turning point that we were in, could be truly meaningful if it didn't include the Jewish people. And so he said it has to also be a relationship with the Jewish people, not just now, not just what works for all of you here today, but taking into account who the Jewish people have been and what we've been about, and also taking into account who the Jewish people will be. So if you think about it, the Jewish people passed We might, they look and sound and act a certain way. The Jewish people today, as we've been talking about, look completely different, act completely differently. We understand it differently. And the Jewish people of the future, we don't know. We have some hints, but we don't know. But anything we create here should be something that speaks to them, that will work for them, that will work for your your little Alexander. That's what we have to be creating now is to have him in mind as well. And the third element, the third element is that it has to include a respect for the integrity and the autonomy of the self, that the individuals need to be able to operate according to one's own conscience and how one actually understands the significance of choice that all of those three things need to be there. God, the Jewish people, past, present, and future, and the self. But any one of those things without the others, it, it won't be an operating system that can last very long. If it's just about God, well then, you could go and have a relationship with God. Where would you go to do that nearby? You could go to the mountaintops. You could go out to nature, but would it matter to anybody else, your relationship with God? So it has to be involved in community, and our community has to take into account all aspects of it. But if it doesn't work for you as individuals, it's also not going to be a sustainable system. And yet it can't be only about you. If it's only about you, if all that matters to you is just you, which is a lot of what we learn as Americans, if it's all about us, then look what other crises we might find ourselves in. We're facing a certain amount of new crises today. I don't have to name them for you, but let's just say that I think we're in need of a new theology that involves perhaps those three elements as well, and certainly takes into account, I hope, the state of Israel. But we're also gonna need a new theology that takes into account what has become of our global society, and what has become of our climate, and what has become of how we understand other people, and the needs of not just our community, but all communities. And so I would conclude and say that I believe that what is needed now is a new theology that can redeem the future, that can redeem the future for our children and our grandchildren, and I believe that within Judaism, just as these three thinkers, Greenberg, Hartman, and Borowitz saw in the depths of Judaism the resources for the next theology, that we too, in this generation we will find in the depths of our Jewish sources and in the wisdom of our students and our colleagues, the capacity to continue to push our, our system, our theology, our operating system to continue to reach toward the good and toward the redemption of our world. Shabbat Shalom.